0: and welcome to Conversations on Climate. My name is Chris Caldwell, and this series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. We sit down with the experts who are trying to solve the biggest challenge of our time before time runs out. Today, we come to you from the West End of London, where we're speaking to two cleantech founders working to decarbonize and add biodiversity, two leading lights of the London Business School startup community. The company TreeApp allows individuals and businesses to plant trees locally. Utilizing both B2B and B2C business models, TreeApp facilitates carbon offsetting through a scientifically rigorous program of planting and forest management that sets them apart from many of their peers. The discussion led us into some really interesting areas, including founding and growing a cleantech business, generational differences in sustainable business practices and aspirations, the impact of offsetting and the interconnectivity of trees into local communities, lives, and economies, the science needed to make the business work, the business of cleantech, and advice for founders. This conversation provided clear insights from two brilliant young minds noted by Forbes in the 30 under 30 list. This is a fascinating conversation that you just won't want to miss. Around 80% of people who listen to this podcast haven't hit the follow button. If I could ask you for a small favour, if you do enjoy our conversations, please do hit that follow button on your app. It would help us and the show more than I could possibly say. Thank you and enjoy the conversation. Gentlemen, well, thank you very much for uh, speaking to us today. You know, it's a great, great, great pleasure to have you both on. Uh, wonderful to have you know such you know, kind of young, dynamic entrepreneurs from the London uh, Business School ecosystem and environments to be to be here talking to us.
1: Great to be with you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for coming. Brilliant.
0: Thank you. Let's just kind of dive uh, right in. You guys are the uh, co-founders of something called TreeApp. Uh, could you tell us about TreeApp?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, in a nutshell, TreeApp is we're one of the largest tree planting organizations in the UK, and really we operate a two-sided business. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, we have a mobile app, which is available for anyone in the UK and Ireland, and it enables anyone to plant a tree for free every day in less than a minute. And on the other side, uh, we have our B2B solutions, where we work with brands to not only set up tree planting sites, but also integrate tree planting into what they do, as well as do some carbon offsetting.
0: And I know this may seem like a stunningly obvious question, but you guys talk about it very well. If we care about climate, why do we care about trees?
1: Great question. So the, the 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 reason why we wanted to focus on trees is simply because trees have amazing benefits uh on top of just the environmental benefits, which are obviously quite obvious, you know, trees uh release oxygen, which we breathe. Um, and they capture carbon, uh, but they also have amazing social benefits. So, um, you know, we we plant trees uh, across the world. We plant trees actually across four continents. Uh, And most of our operations are uh, in uh, Africa, in Asia, and in South America. And in order to plant the trees there, we work with local communities, uh, local uh, associations of farmers. And so, you know, we're not only planting trees, but we're also creating jobs. The fruits that these trees yield, uh, will be able to feed the local population. So, uh, yeah, we think it's very important to, to plant more trees, uh, not only for the environment, but also because uh, it can really contribute, uh, local, local societies.
0: Mm, absolutely right. Yeah, it is one of the most impressive things about uh, your organization is the, the holistic approach, the holistic view that you guys take of the, it isn't just about planting trees. It isn't, you're not just focusing in on carbon, which is what a lot of people do, do in this space. It's just like the, the, the one number they care about is carbon. You guys care about the entire system around it. Uh, you, you mentioned before that you are, um, you're one of the largest tree planting organizations uh, in the UK. Um, tree planting is not a new idea. Uh, you know, it's not. It's a, isn't, it isn't novel. It's one of the one of the first things people tried to go and do when they when they wanted to try and offset. Uh, what makes you different? Why why is there a need for for That's,
1: uh, it's, 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 so. It's interesting. The reason why we started TriApp in the first place is mainly because we understood that um, you know currently there wasn't any solution for anyone to have an impact uh, in a sort of quick way that was cheap, if not free. Uh, You know, basically the hurdle was everybody wants to have an impact, but it's, you know, it's quite expensive. People don't have the time. They don't know how to go about it. And so the app was really there to enable anyone to plant a tree for free every day, have an impact every day, discover sustainable brands, um, and really take that first step towards, uh, you know, living a more sustainable lifestyle. So we think that the proposition we offer to consumers, uh, is quite novel because, well, you get to have an impact for free, but at the same time, you get to change your consumer habits by discovering sustainable brands on the app, uh, and just in general learning more about all of the benefits that tree planting is
0: having uh, for the environment. Okay, and you launched um, pretty much parallel with COVID lockdowns. Well done! It was great timing. <laughs> great time. perfect. Yeah. So you're approaching what's your third anniversary now? Is that that about right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, how's things gone so far?
1: We've been really amazed by the. Uh, traction that the app got f- straight away. Uh, we you know, we were very lucky to be featured hottest app on the App Store. We also were featured app of the day. Um, and just in general, we saw uh, so much positive feedback and so many people uh, sort of, uh, you know, rallying to download the app and, and have an impact. So where we are today is we have over 100,000 users in the UK and Ireland. Uh, and we've planted over 2 million trees worldwide. Uh, in 14
0: countries. Um, so, kind of winding the clock back a little bit. So again, like kind of three years is not not really that that long. Could you uh, tell us the like the origin story of of TreeApp? Like, how, how did where did the idea come from, and how did you get started? So, taking a few steps back,
2: Jules and myself. So, we were in the same class at uh, university, and both of us were very, very interested in the climate space. Um, and realized that we were not the only one that were interested in having an, an impact. But we realized that there were three main barriers to anyone starting to grow their impact as well. It was time, money, and know-how. And so we knew what were the problems, and we knew there was a demand for solutions that would enable people to have an impact. And so we put these things together, and we also have some personal stories around this. Um, myself, I come from Greece, from Athens, and it's a country that experiences a lot of wildfires. And in the last few years, there was even more destructive ones in the regions where I live in Athens. And Joel's also coming from Turkey, um, and Turkey has experienced a lot of tree planting schemes that haven't, let's say, grown in the right way because it, it wasn't done properly. And so these things brought us the whole tree planting world together with the impact. And we thought, you know what? Let's enable anyone to have an impact every day by planting trees. And we put bits and pieces together, and we realized that we were missing a big piece of the equation. And this big piece was corporations. Ultimately, businesses are the source of most of the pollution around the world, the source of most of carbon emissions. And so we realized that if we wanted to have a scalable organization, there needed to be a mix of three parties. One, the consumers who want to have an impact. Two, the corporations who will be helping having this impact. And three local farmers, local communities who be the one benefiting from this impact. We put the three of them together and TreeApp was born. TreeApp mobile app enabling anyone to plant trees and TreeApp for businesses enabling organizations to have an impact.
0: Now you are both serial entrepreneurs, which is also kind of remarkable seeing as you're in your mid twenties. But in your previous entrepreneurial ventures, uh, there were, you weren't in the climate space. Um, now, looking at what you've built, it's something that is like, really quite remarkable in terms of its um, its rigor and uh, the systems and processes you put together. And now you're in something that's really quite remarkable in the climate space. Where did, where did the expertise come from? Yeah, good question. I mean, whenever you start
2: a venture, we believe that you need to know what your strengths are and you need to know what your weaknesses are. And we did an assessment and we knew that... We had strengths in entrepreneurship because we had already done that in the past successfully. Um, But in terms of weaknesses, we weren't experts in tropical forestry or forestry in general across the world. And so we knew that we needed to surround ourselves with the right people. So what we did is we built over time a board of experts in tropical forestry who have been the the ones advising us on how we should approach our tree planting activities. And so they've built a whole due diligence process in the way that we select and we choose the locations where trees are being planted. Making sure, for example, that we don't plant monocultures and only local endemic species in the locations where trees are being planted. As much as possible, growing trees in tree nurseries. These are trees that are grown up to four to six months old and then planted into the ground in the planting sites. This massively increases the chance of the tree survivability. Ensuring that the distance between the trees is correct as well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole list of criteria that we're checking to make sure that the tree planting activities are done in the right way. Ultimately, there are always things that go wrong. And the most important thing that we've realized is that when it goes wrong, we need to be aware of it so we can fix it as soon as possible. And this is why we've made sure that we have all of these standards. We have this diligence. Uh, we've been also accredited as a B Corp. Uh, with a score above one hundred, which proves that we 've done this right and in the right way, um, to make sure that we do our work properly and it 's never easy so when you 're in the impact space to be able to do that in the right way because there 's always challenges that come up
0: and your, um, your efforts have been noticed uh, so you 've got kind of um, forbes thirty under thirty you 've got one one young world. And that actually makes you guys really kind of interesting in the context of of, of our conversations. Typically, we're we're talking to people who are a lot older, <laughs> <You know>? So, <laughs> we would really like to get your get your take on what g- guys of your generation, um, what you what do you think that you can teach guys of you know of, of older generations on climates and the climate space, and vice versa. I think as younger generations,
2: we're seeing that. We're growing in a world that is not sustainable, and it's all about what can we do during our lifetime that will help fight these let's say the change that is happening today and make sure that we're going in the right direction um, because ultimately, when you're looking at all of the graphs, we've been talking a lot about climate change, we've been talking a lot about problems, fossil fuels. Everything that is happening, but the curves are still going up. You can see the increase in pollution, you can see the increase in temperature, you can see in every country, like Greece, I just mentioned, where there's more and more wildfires, in Russia, where you have thousands, tens of thousands of square kilometers of hectares of forest burning every year. It's, it's something that we all need to join forces for there to be a change. Ultimately, when we work with businesses, what's quite interesting is that there's usually one or two people in the organizations that are driving the change and it's thanks to these people that for example some companies will mitigate their carbon footprints that will try to offset it with qualitative carbon projects which i know we'll discuss a bit later um there's always some discussions around that but it's ultimately all about people it's people that are driving the change and i think that the fact that we are a younger generation bringing in some new ideas helps change things
0: in a better way um and you guys have got the benefits of coming in with uh, without the weight of kind of thirty years of corporate history on your shoulders you know you've got different ways, ways where you can be looking at things Do you have any thoughts on how on other advice you might give if they were they were just saying, okay guys, tell me what should we do you know we we we're, we're sitting here we're a big a big multinational corporation uh, we have all of our systems we have all our processes that have been hardwired into us into into us for years you know you you know Young guys, tell us, how. What, what should we do differently? Well, it's it's
2: never an easy answer. And I think depending on every organization that you're speaking with, you should have a bit of a different approach. But ultimately it comes back to the first question being, what impact am I having on all the stakeholders with my business? So if you're a delivery company, if you're a construction company, if you are a career company, if there's a lot of different types of organizations and depending on what you're doing, you're gonna have different kinds of impact. If you're a software company, then the impact that you would have on your stakeholders is completely different to a construction one. And so usually you first do a a holistic assessment of your organization. And very often this is not done and people just jump into a solution without thinking about the the bigger problem. So you look at your organization as a whole, and then you understand what are the negative impacts that I'm having on stakeholders, and what are the positives, and how could I increase the positive and decrease the negatives? Now, we as TreeApp, when we speak with organizations, of course, the core of what we do is about tree planting and carbon absorption or carbon offsetting. So we very often recommend, okay, have you done first a carbon assessment of your organization? So for that, you look at scope one, scope two, scope three emissions, and then you understand, okay, my company emits a lot, for example, via our servers. Um, and so we need to find ways that we can mitigate this uh, impact. And only by then diving deeper into all of the smaller problems that then you start solving one by one, can then as an organization as a whole, you can improve the way that um, things are being done. A lot of organizations... Like IKEA, for example, has put a commitment that I believe by 2030 or 2040, they will try to be uh, to mitigate all of their carbon emissions as much as possible so they can become carbon neutral. And interestingly, they've also taken the approach that they don't want to offset their emissions. They just want to mitigate their carbon emissions. Now, every organization does it in the way they prefer, ultimately. But the main thing is you need to be aware of what is your impact and what you're doing and what is your plan to mitigating I'm just going to finish off by saying that a lot of organizations will say, we are planning to become carbon neutral by 2070. Like, come on, (laughs) 2070, what are you talking about? We'll all be dead by then. It's it's, And me not being pessimistic, right? But it's climate change and it's happening right now in front of our eyes and action needs to happen as soon as
0: possible. Um, I know it's a slightly self-selecting group, the guys that uh, you'd be talking to, but do you find that the the corporates who approach you and you you have conversation with, they've got a fair understanding of their, particularly the scope three emissions? Scope one, scope two are a bit easier to get your arms around. Scope three is a a, a bit harder.
2: Yeah, so I always get confused. So scope one are direct emissions from um, uh, the business that you're doing. For example... You have a car delivery company, you're, you, you, or you produce cars, for example. And producing a car will uh, emit X amounts of carbon emissions. The second one, if I'm not mistaken, is energy, uh, energy usage. Um, and so, for example, by using my laptop, I'm, searching, I'm using a certain amount of energy, and what is the uh, carbon footprint of this uh, energy? And then the third one is indirect emissions, and this is the hardest one. And I've personally not found any very good solution yet, um, to understanding what are the, uh, calculations and how you could calculate these, these, um, these emissions. So to give you an example of scope three emissions in direct is, um, if you're buying a product, for example, from Russia, um, and the product has been imported here, then you need to know this product for it to be produced. Then what are the uh, sources of emissions? that were used to create basically this product and so basically you're having to link a lot of parties that are getting further and further away which is really really hard so you're right that scope one and scope two is easier to calculate than scope three you have organizations that exist out there that help you do these calculations but i personally believe that there can still be some disruption in terms of how we can calculate these scope three emissions then in terms of How we would approach and how we would recommend organizations to offset it—it depends on every organization's uh, preference. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
1: If if I can add on this, I think what's interesting is the there are a lot of companies out there that will claim to be carbon neutral or uh, to have target to become net zero, etc. But actually, sometimes they only talk about scope one and two, uh, and scope three is most of the time the largest part of the emissions. I mean, again for people who are not aware, we're usually talking about over 90% of your emissions, which are from scope three. So, you know, working on scope one and two is very important because these are the ones that are the easy fixes in a way. You can, you can take very quick decisions to, 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 to mitigate, uh, one and two, but in the end it's, it's, it's three, which is the most important. And and as Godfra mentioned, understanding, uh, you know, what are the, uh, the, the, the sort of, uh, which
0: framework to use to calculate this is, it's, it's very tricky. I'd imagine companies uh, that you're talking to will be trying to give you answers saying this is how much carbon we need to be offsetting. Do you actually do ask those questions and say, well, okay, is that scope one? Is that scope two? Is that scope three? Because as you say, like the the vast majority is in is going to be resting in scope three and no one has a particularly good answer of how to do it. Anyone can do it. It just takes an awful lot of work and it takes an awful lot of uh, transparency with all of the other people that people down your chain. And if they're prepared to be sharing information with you, you can do a calculation. But if they can, if they if they won't, it, it, it's an enormously difficult thing to do.
1: A lot of the companies we deal with are in the voluntary carbon market, which means that they are by themselves deciding that they should be doing something about it. So usually the type of, organi- the, the organizations, when we speak with them, they want to understand their footprint and they want to do something about it, whether it is offsetting, whether it is obviously reduction, uh, et cetera. So... Most of the time, the companies we're speaking with are quite willing to provide information to better understand exactly what uh, what kind of uh, you know, what kind of damage they're doing, the, what's their what's their uh, what's their footprint. Um, we at TRIAP do mainly two things. Number one, uh, and that's what we do the most, is deal with companies that already know what their footprint is and uh, are looking to offset it. Uh, so we will then obviously provide a wide range of different uh, carbon credits projects that we uh that that that's, that we, we can provide, uh whether it is forestry, community, um, or or renewable projects uh, throughout the whole world. Um but we also do have a second uh service that we that we do with companies which is where we help them calculate their footprint. Uh and and, and so obviously that's quite different because uh, when when you want to do something about your your footprint but you don't know uh you know what your footprint is, then obviously that's where you need to start. We can sort of sell you credit straight away. So usually um, it's, it's, it's sort of a two step process. First, calculating and then uh, obviously finding the right project. But most of the time, the organization we deal with will have someone in house that has already completed the first part. Okay.
0: Interesting. So, that's a new kind of business line that you're, you're going into. It's kind of it's more of a, a consultancy type business where you're, you're going in and you're trying to help people understand. Their carbon footprints is that is that on is that kind of people put into offices to go around you know look at, looking looking and you know touching and feeling and doing calculations or is that uh, is that is that a, a software type solution you have? for
1: now we have we have people sort of going in and sort of asking questions and uh it's 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 more much more of a consulting kind of uh, role than uh than anything else uh however uh there are solutions out there that exist Calculated with software. Uh, this is not something that we're currently working on. Uh, however, uh, there are great organizations that have built integrations, for example, with uh, companies to um, look at just basically all of their transactions to infer what the footprint of each transaction is, uh, to, to 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 sort of calculate uh, what the total emissions are. But in general, right now, I would say it's nearly impossible to be able to sort of automate everything so that you know you just press a button and. Uh, the software will just tell you what your footprint is. Because again, you need to better understand the boundaries, for example, of scope three, etc. And this goes, this needs to be a discussion you have with
0: the client, uh, to, 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 to understand how the supply chain works. So, um, continuing on, um, can we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the impact that uh, you guys have been having? So we can start with the kind of the top line, like the single, the, the carbon members. Uh. Oh, so two million trees. What does that actually translate into uh, tons of carbon out of the atmosphere?
1: Right. So I mean, obviously, something that's very important to understand is that there's a difference between tree planting, uh, reforesting, and uh, car- you know carbon credits. Uh, so you can have tree planting sites, you can have reforestation projects which uh, don't generate carbon credits. So we obviously deal with the two. We. We have you know planting sites across the whole world where we we do reforestation projects um, where uh, at least for now we don't get uh, any credits from and we also deal with forestry projects which are usually existing forests which basically are have been certified uh, to be capturing a certain amount of carbon per year and therefore you can obviously get the credits from these projects and uh, resell them to other organizations. So for the a little bit over 2 million trees that we've planted. um, Our experts have made uh, extensive research around all of the species that we're planting. And that's, you know, over 180 species worldwide. Uh, The location of these trees, because obviously based on where the trees are planted, um, they're going to be able to capture more or less carbon as well. And for all of our sites across the world, uh, tropical sites, so not, not, for example, our tree planting in the UK, uh, but across all our other sites, what our experts have estimated is that one of our trees, triap trees, will be absorbing across its lifetime, 109 kilograms
0: of carbon. Do you then do the calculation year on year? So this, like last year, we had a million trees, you know, multiply that by total carbon divided by 20-year lifespan, because there must be diminishing returns. So you have, you know, the, the tree in the, say, its first five years life would be, um, taking in more carbon than it would for the next 15. I'm just, uh, I'm speculating. I don't really know, but that's, that's what I'm imagining.
2: Everything is taken into account in the number that, that Jules mentioned. Basically, when you look at a tree, you need to think about how many of the trees that you're planting are surviving. What is the average lifetime of the trees? What is the species of the trees? What is the soil tap? What is the atmosphere? For example, if you had one, the same species of tree being planted here, in the same soil, in the same um, atmosphere, for example, as in even in Madagascar, there are still some tiny changes that would mean that the tree would absorb different amounts of carbon from the atmosphere. And if you compare a mangrove to a sequoia, for example, there is a massive amount of difference between these. Now, it's impossible to know an exact number. Like, it's impossible. Any organization that I can claim they know the exact number of carbon absorption of a whole forest is is impossible, which is why there's also a lot of discussions and tensions in the carbon market around how much a forest actually absorbs. And you have new technologies that are emerging out there with remote sensing that are, actually allows you to, uh, via satellite imagery, and I think something called LiDAR uh, technology, to assess the carbon um, output that a forest would have. So to answer to your question, yes, everything is taken into account to then reach a final number, which is a very rough estimate but at least people people need this number that's the thing people need to know what am i doing how is this having an impact and although it might not be exactly correct at least it gives an idea to people that thanks to this i'm having some sort of impact so i want to do more and this is what you want to reach for people to do more
0: okay no no absolutely um, and maybe we can come come back to that um at a slightly later point but uh, you brought up madagascar it uh, was really interesting. I think that was your first, your first kind of cornerstone project, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, cool. yeah, so could we yeah. kind of go, go dig, dig into kind of Madagascar a little bit more? Like, why did you choose it? What's its, what's, 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 the history behind, um, you know, deforestation in Madagascar? And um, and how, how you run and operate something on like it's really quite far away from London. When we started TreeUp and we were looking at where should we start
2: planting, the main question that we were asking ourselves was, where can we have the strongest impact? planting trees. Now, the first question that came up, considering we're in London now in the United Kingdom, is should we plant in the UK? Planting in the UK is very often associated with volunteers coming into the planting sites or even sometimes contractors coming into the planting site and then helping in the planting activities. So there was this first option. And then we thought, okay, but what about planting in more impoverished areas? Because not only would we help in these regions to regrow lost forests, but also you would pay local farmers, local communities, to then go into the planting sites to plant the trees, and there will be the safeguards of these forests. Because ultimately, if you plant trees in the right way, if you plant, for example, fruit trees, and you make sure that there is some subsistence that comes out from this forest, then the local communities will look after the forest. And this is what we want to, to happen. Interestingly, we've realized that the furthest away trees are planted from cities, the most likely they are to thrive. So the furthest away you are from humans, the more likely a forest is to thrive, which is quite interesting, but ultimately it's it's the state of, of the world today. So we had these things put together and realized, okay, let's start with more impoverished areas because we can feel we have a stronger impact in these locations by planting trees and funding local farmers to plant these trees. Looking all around the world, we realized that Madagascar was a country that had experienced serious deforestation since the 17th, 18th century. Close to 90% of the uh, native forests of Madagascar have been cut down, mainly for farming or for coal, for example. Um, A lot of different reasons, but that resulted that in the 1960s, 70s, there was almost no forest left uh, in the country. And so, we also had some kind of network already existing there, and that put together with having the impact, knowing that it was regions where we could plant that were quite further away from cities, made us realize that there could be a great starting point for starting planting trees. And very quickly after that, well, it grew from Madagascar to then other countries in Africa to then South America, Asia, and now the UK.
0: Clearly, there was, at some point in time, there's an economic benefits to deforestation. Uh, people wouldn't have done it otherwise. Um, you've now been planting trees and you, so the, the forests are back there again. How do you, well, one, ma- maintain and make sure that they're being looked after and, um, you know, diseases and getting into in the population or whatever else. Uh, but also, how have you structured the relationship that will make sure that in kind of five years, say, somebody decides, well, it's it, we're, we're better off chopping this down for agriculture. You know, we, we, we want the land back, you know, and you know, if you then your trees are then, you know, they, they go back up in the atmosphere. You know?
2: <laughs> yes, very good question. It's, um, to answer directly to your question, it's always a challenge. It's always a challenge. And what you do is you put as many things into place to mitigate these uh, challenges. So the first thing is, of course, we have a contract with every, either local association of farmers or uh, local NGOs who we're planting trees with, trees with. Then in terms of due diligence process, what we have is we use a lot of softwares, very often they're one of the best ways, to check that the trees are actually being planted in the locations where they're supposed to be planted. And we have a rolling schedule where we're planning on having basically um, people going into all of the new sites that we're opening now and checking actually in person about the quantity of trees being planted and actually just confirming whats what we're seeing in our softwares. An example of this software is Restore.eco, which is an open source software that we're using, where you're able to put the parameters of all of your planting sites and then write some information about the activities and even associate some pictures with it. Which means that if you you start planting with TreeApp and you have some questions around, well, you're saying that these trees are being planted in Madagascar, for example, or or Kenya, can I know more about where the species type, etc.? By going onto this platform, you can see all the information about the planting site and even some pictures and videos about the planting activities. There's more we can do. And what's quite interesting is that thanks to satellite imagery and LIDAR technology, we can then assess the land, assess the soil, assess biodiversity, and see approximately how it grows over time. So you can see how much carbon the soil has, for example, in clustered over time. It's still early technologies, and we believe that there's a lot that can be done to be for this to be improved. But it's super exciting to see these things upcoming because we're seeing that is going to help us for our work moving forward.
0: Brilliant. And kind of getting into another kind of layer of detail. Um, Madagascar, you've chosen mangroves, but say in Brazil, you've chosen a multitude of different trees. Like what, what was the decision making process on that and, and why? So we don't decide on the tree species. We go to the forests that
2: are surrounding the planting sites, gather the seeds and usually replicate these forests. Uh, this is the best way to make sure that you don't introduce any invasive species uh, into the sites. Unfortunately, um, a lot of tree planting schemes don't do it in that way. And we are in discussions right now into a planting site in the UK, actually, where uh, non-native species have been planted. And the idea would be to replace these with uh, local species. So it's good because we're actually seeing a really good trend um, in that space. There's always things that don't go right, but we're seeing really good improvements. Yeah.
0: And having a look at your impact reports, um, was really impressed by how you're focusing in on non-carbon benefits of, of do, doing what you're doing. Would you like to kind of to talk talk a little bit about you know the other benefits that you bring to communities?
1: Yeah, so we've already mentioned uh, in earlier in this interview the social benefits that tree planting uh, brings. Obviously, working with local communities, creating jobs, uh, but also. What the fruits, the the, tr- the fruits that the trees yield. So I'll give you a few examples. Our project in Haiti, for example, uh, focuses on fruit trees. So all of the all of the fruits that are gathered by the local community will be obviously able to feed uh, the, the, these these farmers. But they will also be able to resell these uh, to other people within their community, which obviously creates this kind of micro economy as well. Uh, so there's the environmental, the social, and the economical impacts, which is you know, the sort of uh, best uh, combo that you could get uh, from, from a planting site. Really, each of our side usually has some kind of focus. So um, we have all of the SDGs that we're going to be looking at. And for each project, there's going to be one to three SDG that I have particular emphasis on. Um, so our project in Nepal, first of all, is all about women empowerment. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's, a, it's a woman-led project. Uh, we also have our project in Indonesia, where we plant trees along the coast to prevent the risk of flooding, uh, which as we know is something that's unfortunately uh, happening more and more. So, yeah, we thought it was very important in the impact reports, not only to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, those, the, the numbers of trees and, you know, the, what, what, what this equates in terms of carbon, etc., but also what are the other benefits which are usually, unfortunately, less well known about trees and, and which are as, as if not more important.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, you mentioned the Sustainable Development Goals. Out of curiosity, have you uh, done an SDG analysis of your own business? Have you looked at your own, you know, your own emissions? Have you looked at at how TreeApp runs along the seventeen goals? We have looked at how each of our project contributes to the
1: SDGs. When it comes to TreeApp itself, uh, so Guillaume mentioned earlier that we have gone through the B Corp uh, assessment process, and this does required to look at the business from a lot of different lenses um but a sort of sdg analysis per se uh, this is i don't believe this is something we've done uh, but we do we do know you know what our footprint is and we do uh we have taken steps to sort of reduce it as much as we can uh, and we see there's uh, as i mentioned the whole b corp assessment that we've gone through which does look at you know governance environment uh social uh, dimensions within the business so we are quite aware of the things we need to improve and, and the things we're doing well.
0: I really really like what you're talking about there in the kind of the interconnected um, way that you look at don't you don't just take carbon you look at look at um, you know the entire system around what you want to do. Um, how do you think we can be encouraging that type of thinking more generally more broadly? One of the problems with the climate movement right now is people are really focused in on one molecule which is carbon. Like, how do you think for the for the greater the greater good um, and uh, the greater good of of you know the environment and um, ecosystems and uh, biodiversity? How can we be encouraging a more, more broader framework of thinking?
1: You know, in a nutshell, the reason why we look at carbon so much is because carbon is very it's very it's very important. It's a metric we do need to track. It's a metric that, uh, we need to, re- we need to reduce. I mean, everyone needs to reduce, uh, every organization, especially needs to reduce their, their carbon emissions. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a good thing that we look at carbon, uh, but obviously you, know, you can, you can't just focus on one thing, just like in business, you, you can't just do, uh, you, you know, you can't just look at one particular challenges. The, the world is complex. It's, it's, you, you can't just solve everything by just, uh, by just having sort of a one, one fits all solution. So, um, I think the going through the, uh, the the scoping we mentioned, calculating your footprints, better understanding uh, your scope one, two, and three, will help organizations also understand uh, what are other indirect um, benefits or that that their organizations can be having, or what are different solutions that they could put in place, which are not necessarily related to carbon emissions, uh, but that that can, for example, have a you know social impact uh, within their, uh, their workforce, uh, or, um, you know, the well-being in general. So I think it, the, for f- the fact that we focus on that one metric, because it's the most important one is not it's not bad. It's just that obviously just like every big complex problem, you can't just fix it by just
2: solving one, one, one particular metric, but I'm not sure if there's anything you want to add on that. Yeah. I think you could look at on two sides. There's one voluntarily you can increase the conversation, and the other one, oblig- obligatory. So you can force people to to talk more about it. I think voluntarily, exactly what Jules said, I want to repeat it, um, you push people in conversations, you push people in, in companies to discuss more about it, to bring to the top management, hey, we should do X, Y, and Z. But then I think there's the second side of things, which is... Forcing the discussion. And this is, for example, having government legislation that forces companies to do X, Y, Z. For example, I think in the US, very soon it'll be introduced a forced calculation of your, I think, company footprints. Uh, France has just forced uh, restaurants to stop using single use, I think it's plastics or, or packaging. Um, now, it's not always done in the right way. And sometimes it's a bit rushed decision making. But by forcing this and, ma- and telling to organizations, well, if you don't comply, then you'll be fined. Then you'll see that actually they'll be like, okay, okay, now we'll start actually discussing about it. So both ways should be done. And you can see some companies like Patagonia or some countries. I believe personally France, where, where we're both from. Um, the UK is sometimes also pretty good at that. Uh, Nordic <coughs> countries in Europe are really good at initiating this conversation. And it's good because without them, then you would have only a bit lagger behind.
1: So, do you think that the the legislation should talk less about carbon and other things as well? Is that what you mean? Like that they've been focused too much on
2: that one particular emission. I I don't know that much about what other countries have done, aside from like countries where we're from in terms of uh, legislation, or that that could be could be improved, but. I think I would assume both sides are, are being done. I follow a lot about the carbon market itself. Um, so I know that, and you're right, that the carbon market is the topic of discussion these days, uh, especially because there's the whole finance world behind it, You know, because there is exchange of like carbon credits and this is what incentivizes companies and then tradings and all this to happen. If there was the same thing on plastic or on other types of products or services, maybe there'd be a bigger market and bigger demand for it.
0: The, the main kind of conversations in and around kind of tree planting tends to be the, the bad guys, like not, not even bad guys. Maybe, maybe some well-intentioned people who just do it badly, but it's the failures. Um, you guys have come across it with, with, a, with a, different, a different approach. You're very rigorous, um, but we spent quite a bit of time talking about your projects and why, why you are doing things well. Uh, why do so many tree planting projects fail?
1: Good, great question. Uh, Challenging question, (laughs) but but good question.
0: So, I mean, why do they
1: they fail? I think uh, we mentioned briefly monocultures. Uh, That's probably one of the best examples of tree planting done badly. Um, You know, if you plant a forest of palm old trees, uh, it's it's not really going to enable biodiversity at all because, um, you know, no natural forest is only made up of one species. And so if you're... Uh, I think the, the reason why a lot of these tree planting projects are mad leads is because they sometimes have, you know, commercial uh, reason as well. So for example, when you're planting a palm oil, for, palm oil forest, obviously you're then going to be using that forest uh, to, you know, sell the wh- whatever f- the forest yields, et cetera. So uh, in general, most of the time, it's also down to the fact that people are not well informed enough on how to do it properly. Um, I mean we spent months before uh you know even thinking about all of the business side of, of 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 tree app just figuring out how can we do tree planting properly, you know getting the right experts on board um and and really fighting that uh the, the those, those people that know the kind of species that need to be planted, the spacing between each of the trees you know all of the um things that need to be put in place within a planting site to ensure that we mitigate the risk of fires etc uh you know the type of sensors monitoring that needs to be put in place um so yeah i'd say that it's down to it's down to to, two things really you have the the sort of commercial incentive which sometimes can make the project uh not as beneficial uh for for the planet as it could be and you obviously have just uh i guess i wouldn't say ignorance but ignorance but lack of 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 knowledge uh, and and time that has been spent in actually preparing properly.
2: So how do you think? Like you know, in Turkey, what was it like? Twenty million trees that they were planting and that didn't succeed. Um, yep,
1: yeah. it was a it was eleven million, I think. Eleven million. Um, yeah. So I mean, basically, what 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 happened is in 20, in twenty uh, eighteen or nineteen, uh, Turkey planted eleven million trees in uh, pretty much one day. Uh, so it was a record you know the 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 the, it was great news obviously great headline for the country uh now the problem is that the trees were planted quite badly uh which means that they either didn't have i mean obviously it was across the whole country right they didn't plant sort of 11 million trees in the same place but um it was done badly in a way that number one the trees were not necessarily planted with the right spacing between each other so they ended up competing for resources and therefore the survival rates, uh, ended up being extremely low. But also, and most importantly, uh, they completed the planting part, but they didn't really have anything in mind for the monitoring, uh, which really, you know, is the most important. Once you, once you plant the seed, you need to make sure it reaches maturity. Um, and that's something we're, very, we're very proud of. We have a, an extremely high, uh, uh, you know, amount of our survival rates for our trees, uh, that, that, that reach maturity. Um, but yeah, in the case of Turkey, um, unfortunately, there was uh, no measures put in place and just not enough people uh, that were, uh, you know, hired or at least gathered to, to look after the, the trees. And, and that's, that's why we wanted to do it differently, because these great stories, which in the end end up you know, being absolutely terrible. Uh, and and you know, if we are to
0: do it tree planting, we, we really need to do it properly. Yeah, no, yeah, great stories can be very quickly turned into embarrassments. Um, and, and give, give the whole market a bad name. I think it was like a 10% odd survival rate, like a year or so later. Yeah. What's your survival rate for, for trees uh, planting? So our last
2: assessment was in Q2 of last year, and it was around 75 to 80% of survival, considering that on average you'd see 65 to 70 uh, on the market. We believe we're seeing a bit of a higher than average, before saying that, actually, let me tell you that it's impossible to reach above 90% of survival rates. There's always, you know, just rocks into the ground or issues that can cause trees not, not to grow. So we're actually super proud to be close to, to 80%. And we do this assessment year on year. Um, yeah, we believe that some of the things that we do that help in the, in the survivability of the trees are ensuring you know, trees are planted in the right uh, season. So, for example, rainy season, tropical areas, or winter, for example, in Europe, making sure it's the right species the spacing between the trees is very important as well so for example between mangroves usually you'd have one meter of distance between the trees while for more uh, tropical trees uh, that would be growing under tropical uh, seasons you would have usually close to three meters Uh, this is what we also have in the uk uh, just because it's also bigger type of trees so you need to think about all of these things put together Um, and yeah it's it's not It's not easy. It seems easy to put a tree into the, the ground in your garden, but growing a whole forest is, is a whole project.
0: One critique, and well, another critique of the whole uh, tree planting um, universe, uh, tree planting world, is the issue of moral licensing, whereby um, you can, if you do this one thing, and this one thing maybe I, I, I plant a tree daily, um, psychologically, it can give you freedom to be doing other polluting activities, not, not actually going in and um, changing, digging down, and changing, making the lifestyle changes that your individual would wouldn 't want to do, or also more licensing for a business so it's, it allows you to be offsetting so carbon offsetting allows you to to do one thing without actually digging into your systems and your processes and trying to trying to make that make those improvements. How do you guys think about you know the whole idea of moral licensing and how can you be kind of engineering the business to be countering you know to, to be counteracting those uh, those particular effects?
1: Organizations need to calculate their footprints. They need to well, on the short term at least, offset it, but in the long term, look at mitigating and reducing it. Uh, but it's also very much down to legislation uh, in the end if we let government uh, if we let companies choose whether or not they should do it um, you know we we're going to see a lot of companies that decide just to do it whenever they they have to to do it you know because obviously otherwise they'll be breaking the law so we need more legislation uh, and need, this needs to be uh, worldwide because otherwise you know some countries are obviously going to lose competitiveness and We've seen such, uh, you know, decisions recently in the U.S. creating a lot of tension with Europe in terms of trade, etc. Um, so it needs to be done uh, as as a sort of consensus uh, worldwide uh, when it comes to legislation. Um, coming back to the to, to companies and you know companies that maybe offset and then, as you say, you know, keep on just polluting and business as usual. Well, I mean, obviously, that's not the right way to do it. Uh and you know, any company that we work with to offset their emissions, we're also gonna be chatting to them about okay, you know, what are your plans to reduce? Uh, you know, what's what's your what's your goal in uh so sort of 10 years time, you know, 2020, 2030, everybody's talking about twenty thirty. Uh well now it's in less than ten years actually. So we really need to um to see legislation happening, uh, but also businesses who are offsetting uh truly showing that they are doing things to reduce uh, that footprint and that in the long term, although they are using a short-term solution via carbon credits, uh, that, that they will be looking at, at
0: reaching net zero. And on the individual level, is there you're thinking it is an awful lot more difficult to be legislating against individuals, um, how do you encourage... Individuals to not just, I know, obviously your 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 advertisers tend to be um, sustainable businesses, and we can get onto that 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 a little bit. But um, how do you avoid this moral licensing issue with the individuals that you deal with?
1: I think to be to be very honest, I think this is this is obviously something that we don't have full control over. Uh, You know, uh, some of our users may be planting a tree every day uh, and feel comfortable. I'm not driving around with the, <laughs> their car, you know, for, 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 for hours. Um, we, we realized that TreeApp does have this instant gratification side to it. You know, you, you spend 30 seconds a minute on the app and, and, and you get to plant a tree in, in another side, in the other side part, another part of the world. Uh, but what we're really trying to do is to incentivize our users to change their consumer habits. Uh, again, by discovering sustainable brands, you 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 just mentioned it. And so, we want to show them that there are alternatives that exist that can make them uh you know leave the, you know carry on doing the exact same things but in a more sustainable way i mean you know for example using uh, eco-friendly laundry pods um so i think that's the that's the, that's the first thing um uh, i think something that's very important is what we're also trying to do is make our users advocates of um of of sustainability and the importance uh, for, for companies and just in general for consumers to, to buy, uh, more, more, more wisely. Uh, so, you know, if, if everybody starts purchasing sustainable products, then obviously companies are going to realize that consumers are interested in purchasing products which contribute to the planet. And therefore companies will also have to change the way they do things to make sure they stay attractive. So in a way, if we can get our users to, Look beyond just the one tree plant, planted, but also look at alternatives to what they consume. Uh, we think we can make a real difference here.
0: Just a question about whether it is the right path, right, in vertical uh, to be encouraging the planting of trees by um, encouraging, by an advertising model, which by definition encourages consumption. Are you not just shifting the emissions? from one one place to another? I think you've partially answered it already. Um, I think that's one way to see it, but
2: if you're inciting consumption, bad consumption, then yes, I would agree with you. The difference that Tria brings is that we work as hard as we can to bring sustainable alternatives in front of users. Uh, For example, a vegan type of diet, for example, reusable deodorants. And we believe that this way, yes, you are inciting some type of consumption, but. There will be consumption in any case. Why not shift it for it to be in the better way rather than using and buying, I don't know, clothes from, for example, a brand finishing with Mark that we all know, um, is not the best one, you know, for, for the environment. So we see it more as we're trying to change
0: a perspective and bring in new things in front of our user base. Um, so that kind of gets to how do you decide what partners to work with? Like, would you take the, the approach of COP? Say at uh, the top twenty seven we 've taken some headline sponsors who aren 't exactly the the, <laughs> the friendliest people people of the environments like uh, how do you how do you then kind of go through your process and say no, it must be taking these 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 boxes
2: What we try to do is first build a model and then adapt this model also on a case by case basis. But in the model, what we try to look at is many three things to not overcomplicate it. The first one is we look at uh, the product itself, so when you buy the product. Um, is there any kind of uh, impact that you have uh, with this product? For example, Jules loves to go around with his ocean bottle, which is a reusable bottle that funds. Um, LBS. I think LBS it's close funded. to like 10, 15 kilograms of plastic that would be ocean bound. And instead, they, they recycle that. So by buying the product, you're immediately having this kind of impact. The second thing that we look at is the supply chain of the product. So has the product been produced, for example, in China? Has it been packaged in the US and then brought back to Europe? Or is it a lot of like local made? And this is the thing that we're trying to focusing on quite a bit, making sure that you're not emitting as much as you would imagine just for a small product coming from the other side of the world. And then the third aspect is the packaging and especially plastic packaging. What we try to do as much as possible is reduce the plastic sides of consumption. Um, because yes, we're focused on the carbon, of course, with tree planting and the impact of, of carbon. But we believe that also plastic has a big impact in pollution that is having today. Um, so these three things put together and then we do some kind of final assessment. And very often once we launch something on tree app, we also hear what our users are saying. We, we are very happy to hear what the community says about the brands that we're advertising. And if some of them don't feel comfortable, then we actually give this feedback from users to the brands. And they're usually very receptive if it's constructive feedback. You know, you can have people that are just like, don't like it. And that's it, you know. Um, And so it's a a win-win model where users discover these sustainable alternatives, but they also give feedback to these brands so that they can also improve their model. And we've seen with our ratings online that people love actually this model. And it's working really well.
0: But there's going to be a point in time where there's a decision to be made. And I think if we go back to really, really that kind of, First principles of, uh, of the business. Um, you are not a social enterprise. You're not a charity. You are a for-profits, um, you know, tech, tech company, you're a tech startup, um, a clean tech startup, a tech startup. So there will be a point in time where there, where there's a conflict there, where like, you know, A, B, like, I, I don't know, an oil major wants to come and, uh, and, and, and insults you with money. And you go, well, oh, what do we do here? You know, I've got I've got this I've got got these 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 particular goals that I that I, I feel is important for us and our brands, and I've got this this other you know this other other concern. I've got my personal financial concern. I've got shareholders' a concern. I've got 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 partners' concern. Like, if you you decide to not be a social enterprise or a charity, but you're working in the social space, a problem is going to come up at some point. And how do you how do you think you'll You'll think about that. How do you think you'll be working through that? I mean,
2: it is, the, I think, the dilemma that a lot of enterprises have in the climate tech space. Let's not lie to ourselves. It is a dilemma. And very often, not always, but very often, the organizations with the bigger pockets are not the, the organizations that are the best for the environment, let's say like that. So there's a few things that comes into account, but when we think about TreeApp itself, We put in front of our users products that we believe match what they are looking for. If we are going to work with a business that we don't believe is beneficial for our audiences, but that we believe can change and we can influence this business, a polluting business, and we can make things for better. We always try to see the positive side of things and thinking, well, thanks to them, they also have this kind of impact. So it's it's very hard because as an organization and you're growing, you need to work with a lot of different stakeholders. So you cannot say no to some kind of big organizations that are maybe going in the right direction, but haven't reached their goals, their carbon neutral goals yet, or some of the changes they want to do. So we keep the approach of always trying to be open, but of course being careful on not doing greenwashing. Of course it's a it's a it's a term that you hear very often. And we're doing that by limiting some somehow. The influence that we're having on our user base. You know, there's so many people that we can touch every day via TreeApp. And the goal is that you don't put something that could be harming them further down the line.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very tricky balance to be struck. I like guess it also goes back to the, to the divestment movement. Like if you are, if the, the environmentally conscious investor decide to not in, to, to get out of oil altogether, what you're doing is you're leaving the non environmentally conscious investors as the shareholders. And is that the right thing to do? Like, you're, you end up, um, really solidifying the shareholder base in one direction as opposed to the other. But you can understand why people want to, want to divest. And, but you can understand why people don't want to divest because they want to have an influence. It's, it's, there's, there's all of these dilemmas. There's no, no kind of black and white in this space, but no, interesting. And thank you for, for, for your, for your frank an- answer. I mean, there. ultimately people follow the money.
2: You know, that is, we are, we're living in a world where it's all about an economy and you need to sustain the economy. You always have investors. You always have shareholders. And if you're able to create an economy in the climate space and show that being a green tech is actually something that can also yield somehow some profits, which is why we are a company. Um, and we believe that it can go very well together, then you can move all of the investors that are potentially into fossil fuel to this
0: new space. Um, would like to kind of touch on the, the idea of kind of the, I really don't like the term, but it's, it kind of, it's, it sums things up quite well. as the kind of the green imperialism. With the idea that, uh, we, um, in the developed world have been in the, you know, developing world, extracted their resources, used those resources largely to create, to create a problem. And we're now going back to the developed world and expecting them to be using their land, uh, to be, um, now sorting out our current carbon emissions. And not just now, but for a lot of years into the future, we're gonna be tying up their lands um, to to, to do nothing more than than to to solve our own kind of carbon problems. Very good question, very good question because
2: it's a very trending topic these days. So let me first start talking about maybe the carbon markets. If you look at the carbon markets, and as Jules mentioned, we're very much focused on the voluntary markets, and you look at the VERA standard, which is one of the biggest standards alongside, for example, the gold standard, uh, that certifies uh, carbon credits. If you look at the standards and look where these projects, most of the projects are, most of these are in between China or India, and you have a few of the projects which are Central Africa, um, a bit in Turkey as well with wind, and quite a bit in, in uh, South America. Now, if you focus or go on a, on a lower level on nature-based solution, which is what we're focusing on, and you focus on forests, well, most of the forests or that we are looking, especially in the carbon markets, or either in South America or in Africa. You have some Central African countries that have close to 80 or 90% of their countries which are forests. Now, why wouldn't they be able to cut down their forest and use the woods and then use the land, for example, for agriculture? They're allowed to do whatever they want. And it's true that Western countries in particular have come to these countries and told them, no, don't cut it. We're going to give you money. And this is the whole idea of the carbon projects so that you don't cut these downs and then cut these forests down and you have a benefit from it. So I believe that when there is this exchange of value between both and the hosting country, which is usually emerging economies, um, receive a benefit. I'm talking mainly about nature-based solution here then there is actually an advantage and you can reduce this green imperialism. What has happened, unfortunately, is in the past, a lot of these projects have not brought as much value to the local economies, but much more to the companies or other countries that have used it as a source of income. And so I believe, and it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts, but the best way moving forward would be to make sure that I think it can happen like this. You already have these native forests that are existing in these countries and you can focusing just on forests and you can use them and you can find ways to protect it. But what is still missing is making sure that there is the right amount of money that is then reinvested in these hosting countries, making sure that they get value for the assets that they're protecting.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, this is is interesting. This really takes me back to... um, the, an event we took part in, uh, last year. Um, so TreeApp is the official tree planting partner of the economist. Uh, and so we've been planting trees with them at, uh, different events. And, uh, I believe it was in September last year, uh, at one of the events, uh, we were fortunate to meet with Mo Ibrahim, who's, a very successful, uh, philanthropist, uh, African philanthropist. And what he was saying was very interesting. He was basically saying that Africa is the only continent in the world which is carbon, uh, carbon negative because, uh, you know, it actually, um, basically, uh, you know, captures more carbon than, than it emits. And he was saying that Africa really needs, and when he says Africa, he obviously means all of the countries that make up, uh, the continent. These countries really need to leverage, uh, these amazing resources that they have. And again, it needs to come through legislation, you know, because you're right, some some, con- some some organizations from the West have been taking advantage of, you know, some projects that are in place in Africa, and ha- they have been reaping most of the benefits that come from these projects. So there needs to be a better distribution, but there's a lot of opportunities for developing countries to benefit uh, from, from, from these projects, in my opinion.
0: You would suggest that, while well, you play a key role in getting the forest planted. Um, you need to have a international organizations, like, for example, via, via COP to be providing the, the, the money to be maintaining long term these, these forests. Not the, not only the ones you, you, uh, particularly plant, but forests generally in Africa. So it's, it needs to be part of the, the kind of the transfer, the kind of the reparations type, type, type of payments that, that was suggested in the last COP. Like you, you pay, like, um, a, an amount of money for the tree to be planted and and you monitor go, going forward but there's no c- continual income stream to to the people on the grounds to be um to, to be maintaining the forest the forest for, for for the long run but if there is a conf- conflict um in in the use of that, it would make more economic sense for them to then take your trees, chop them down, and sell them, and use the land for agriculture. Then that's the responsibility of bodies like the United Nations to be to be getting the you know the the monies down to maintain the forests, not just your own forest, but forests that have been been around for for, for longer times.
2: Well, I think it can be it can be a mix of both. I mean, on one side, it's us because if we realise actually that you know we're working with a particular association of farmers and the trees that they're supposed to maintain have been cut down and we just tell them you haven't done your part of the work properly so we're, we're not gonna work together anymore. We are fulfilling one part of the equation which is we're trying to bring awareness about tree app, about solutions, about tree planting and we're bringing them assets and revenue for them to you know grow these forests and then maintain them. So it's a trust relationship that we're building with each one of our partner and we're lucky actually that With each partner that we've decided to work with across the world, we're still working with them today. All of them have fulfilled all of their criteria because they're seeing the value that we bring to them. It's important to note that the existing partners that we have are maybe 3 or 4% of all of the potential partners that we could have had. But out of the 100% people or association of farmers or NGOs that we've discussed with, then it went down, it went down, it went down. And only these ones are the one that we thought could meet our criteria. And it's really good because they've actually met it. And,
1: and, and just to f- just to finish on that, uh, we do have, within our due diligence process, before partnering with any of these organizations, local organizations, we do have things around land agreements. So, you know, we have the insurance that the trees we plant won't get chopped down, as you say, in, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, we usually look at land, uh, you know, that is owned to perpetuity, and there are commitments um, that, you know, the trees will reach maturity, et cetera. Uh, so we're not, we're, we're not going to see any of our planting sites doing this uh, simply because this is part of our due diligence process.
0: So going back to the, uh, the, the kind of carbon credits market, you said that you have, so sort of, I've, I've read somewhere that you have the ability to be retiring carbon credits. Um, is that a, at the end of the, the life cycle that you mentioned when with tree, tree goes to maturity? Again, coming
1: back to what I was mentioning earlier, you really have to separate tree planting from forestry projects where, where you can get carbon credits from, uh, tree planting projects, forestation projects. Uh, they're very young trees uh, for quite a few years, of course. Um, so uh, you wouldn't really be able to certify these uh, because they're not capturing enough carbon for you to actually get carbon credits from uh, from these. What you need to do is you need to work with existing forests. So uh, forests that have been around already for quite a few years and that have reached uh, certain um biomass where they can actually capture capture carbon. Uh, so these forestry projects, once certified by different standards, Godfrey mentioned Vera, VCS, there's also gold standard, etc. Um, once these have been certified, then the project developer will be able to uh, sell uh certain amount of credits every year, uh, which are basically coming from how much carbon is absorbed in the first place by the forest. Now We, as TreeApp can retire credits on behalf of other companies. So uh, if a company comes to us, for example, and is looking to offset uh, its footprint, um, they'll tell us, okay, that's my footprint. I'm looking to invest in this particular forestry project. Uh, Obviously, we have a wide portfolio that will sort of take them through. And once they've decided that they want to contribute to this particular project, via the standards, um, again, we mentioned a few, we'll be able to retire the credits on their behalf so that there is this proof that the company has contributed to this project and has purchased X amount of credits, which obviously are equivalent to that much uh, carbon absorbed.
0: Does that make sense? It does, it does indeed, yeah. Um, How do uh, tree planting projects work with the principle of uh, of permanence in in, in the carbon market? Because obviously a tree has got got a finite life, and at the end of its life, unless it's onto a table or whatever else it's it's it will naturally go go back up into the atmosphere uh, carbon will go will go back up how's that
2: um yes and no yeah. it's a bit it's a bit more complicated than that actually so uh, yes when a tree grows interestingly when a tree i think you mentioned it earlier in the first few years a tree actually emits more carbon than it absorbs and it's only when it reaches its maturity that then it starts absorbing more uh, carbon from the atmosphere um, and so when a tree gets older and maybe it stops growing or it, it dies, uh, it completely depends on the type of tree, then actually the carbon arrives into the soil and gets sequestered into the soil itself, which is why the soil is also a very, very part important part of the equation in terms of carbon absorption. And when you look at carbon absorption of trees, we don't look only at the tree itself, but you also look at the underground roots. Um, I don't want to say any mistake, but I believe close to 40 to 50% of actually the carbon absorption goes into the roots of the trees. So to answer to your question, um, you need to, ho- to look at the whole life cycle. And this is one of the reasons why when you create a carbon project, um, you don't get the credits, at least especially in forestry, in the first two or three years because you don't have any real carbon outputs. And the idea is that every year you estimate then from the fourth, fifth, sixth year onwards, how much carbon will be absorbed by the trees that you're planting. Which is unfortunately one of the reasons why not a lot of people do forestry projects, tree planting projects, and uh, in carbon and in carbon cr- uh, credits, just because it takes so many years for these credits to be issued, and it's easier to invest in a wind farm or in a, in a dam where you can know that from next year onwards you already have these credits that are being issued. Ultimately, when you think about the carbon markets, it's you're investing in something that, thanks to this project, um, will have absorbed at least one ton of uh, carbon emissions from the atmosphere. The biggest problem that I personally see today is that you have a lot of projects that have been built, that already exist out there, and that people certify for carbon credits, yet there's no additionality. And this is one of the biggest points in the carbon market is additionality. Is it really thanks to the investment from this company that you have built this dam? No, this dam was built 20 years ago and they don't care about this. This It's just another way of income. And yet it enabled this company, maybe in China, to emit, I don't know how much more pollution and say that now they're carbon neutral.
0: So one of our recent conversations was with a venture capitalist and uh, we got a really good insight into the the climate tech world in the UK from the VC's point of view. We'd be really interested to get your view from the as as founders you know what how you see the vc world um has it changed over the last the last co- uh, couple of years are you optimistic do you think it do you think it's a good place the uk is a good place to be um forming a climate tech um business
1: great question so um a few, few few things to, to, to mention here um first of all in terms of the uk uh yes absolutely the UK is a great place to start uh, a business and to, to fund a startup, uh, mainly because there are amazing, uh, logis- there's great legislation in place. And there's obviously a lot of incentives to get investment. Uh, for example, for uh, angel investors, you have the uh, famous SEIS and EIS scheme, the enterprise investment scheme, uh, which, you know, enables anyone to, uh, well, which, which enables you know, business angels and network individuals to invest in businesses and obviously get a tax rebate. So there's a big incentive uh, to invest in startups much more than in any other country in Europe. And you know, I, I truly believe that this is how London has managed to get uh, to, to become such such an important uh, tech uh, tech capital uh, here in, in Europe. And um, in terms of clean tech, I mean we see so many companies in that space being created every day and there's a lot of companies now that have been able within the clean tech space to re- to raise um, a lot of investment from venture capital funds um, and it's 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 really exciting to see so much interest in the space. Now this interest is not new, it's been there for uh, years. Uh, now the macroeconomic uh, situation has meant that it is now harder to raise fin- funding than it was uh, you know, a few years ago. Uh, but there is still interest in some particular sectors and climate techs is one of these sectors which has been less impacted. Um, but then obviously something that you need to look at is the stage uh, at which the the companies are raising funding. So, you know, it is still much easier for a company to raise in pre-seed, seed stage than it would be uh, for anything series A onward. Um, so obviously the macroeconomic uh, situation has a, an impact. Uh, but we, or at least I, I feel like, uh, you know, there's a lot of op- exciting opportunities to be building a clean tech nowadays, especially in London. Um, and, and, you know, what is super cool also is just, it's not about, it's in this space, it feels like it's not just about competition, it's about collaboration as well. Uh, you know, you
0: want to be working with brands that also want to do good, that also want to have an impact. And do you think that your particular positioning, because obviously the advertising-based models, um, uh, uh, tech companies have taken a bit of a bit of a bashing recently. Um, do you think that your positioning as a socially conscious brand with socially conscious partners and socially conscious consumers um, kind of insulates you from that in some way? So like you, you've got versus- a, you've got a very particular niche.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, naturally we are because you bring the same kind of people that, you, you, um, that your products will naturally bring. So if you are naturally a UK citizen and you don't care at all about the environment and it's really not your topic of interest, then there's naturally no reason why you would want to be associated or, or, or work with us or just use, use TreeUp, for example. So I think it's quite natural. And the whole idea is, is that how can we overcome this, this part where we're just focusing on the people that are already very environmentally conscious, and then get the other populations. One thing that we find is super exciting is that a lot of our users are, you know, quite young generations, that you know maybe in their twenties, thirties. But very often these are the generations that then bring their parents onto TreeApp, and then we introduce them and tell them, look, you've always said that you would maybe do something about it. Now is your opportunity. You say you don't have time. Now is your opportunity. Um, so what's really exciting is that we find that young generations have a bit more time, and they will usually bring in maybe older generations into doing their bit for the environment. Right. Okay, two last questions. Uh,
0: What's your long-term goal
2: for TreeApp?
1: If we look, you know, with a sort of long-term view, sort of five years from now, what we're really hoping for is for TreeApp to be in the hands of millions of people worldwide so that really anyone can have an impact every day. Right now, we have only been available uh, here in the UK and and Ireland, so we, we definitely want to... Uh, grow our impact by uh, going international. Um, and what we really want to do is also enable businesses uh, to integrate tree planting, uh, carbon offsetting and, and, and mitigation at the core of what they do. And that's what we do with a lot of the brands we work with. For example, DPD, um, who's, who's been a long-standing partner of ours, uh, we work with them to plant a tree for every 10 electric vehicle deliveries that they make. Uh, here in the UK. And so as, uh, their electric fleet gets bigger, uh, because obviously they're, re- they're looking at reduction, et cetera. The impact that they will be having via tree planting will also get bigger. Um, and so we, we think that if we integrate in the right way with businesses and we offer the right, if we offer the right, uh, products, you know, tech, tech products, then, uh, we can truly grow our impact at the same time as, our partners will grow. So um, yeah, in a nutshell, enabling anyone to have an impact, whether it is consumers or businesses worldwide. Okay,
0: brilliant. And last question, just to wrap up. Um, As to serial entrepreneurs, it's a really scary thing. It took me 15 years to get into kind of entrepreneurship, and you guys have yeah, you know, just I've, I've j- jumped right in. Um, so, I, like, I understand it is a difficult thing. I understand you know there, you can ha- you can have doubts, you can have worries. If you were talking to people, say coming out of you know the LBS, the, the MIM, the MIF uh, MBA program, um, who might be concerned about you know the world the go- world they're going into, might be worried. What advice would you give them and say, no, guys, it's okay. Entrepreneurship is the way forward, because <laughs> it's really great to see
1: how much emphasis has been put on entrepreneurship in the school, uh, which historically has obviously been much more focused on finance and consulting, et cetera. So I think it's great. And you see so many uh, students now uh, coming up with new ideas, ventures, et cetera. So it's really exciting. And I feel that in general, um, there is more and more uh, of a drive towards entrepreneurship in business schools, uh, not only at LBS, but, but worldwide. Um, for, for, for any sort of young entrepreneur, someone that wants to start a business, there's a book I'd recommend. It's the Mom Test by Rob Fitz, Fitzpatrick. It's it's a book which has been super useful for us, uh, and 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 just in general that I would recommend to anyone that has something in mind that they want to start. It's will it's a book which will basically enable you to get real feedback from potential customers uh, without, you know, you you'll you basically be able to get real feedback on what is it you want to do, your idea, without, uh, you know, having to involve personal feelings, etc. You know, if you ask you. That's why it's called the Mondays. If you ask your mama, oh, I have this great idea. What do you think? She's obviously going to tell you it's wonderful. Uh, well, this book tells you basically how to make sure you know you actually get the real uh, the real answer. Um, and so I think that's a great place to start when uh, when when you have something in mind. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, I feel like there's more and more uh, people that are going towards entrepreneurship, and it's just great to see uh, that some sectors, for example, like climate tech. Uh, have been have been getting so much interest because we need we need more startups in this space. We need more solutions, uh, and entrepreneurship is the way to go. Innovation uh, can't be stopped. Well, thank
0: you very much for your time, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank DeLance. you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank DeLance. you so much. Thank you very much for joining us on that conversation. We hope that you enjoyed it. Hope That you uh, learned something. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please feel free to leave a five star review and to subscribe to any of our channels and we'll be sure to keep you updated on future productions this series is produced by united renewables in collaboration with the london business school alumni energy club these are conversations that you just can't afford to miss